the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Arthur Idala on AM 970. The answer. This is the Arthur Idala Power Hour with quintessential New Yorker attorney Arthur Idala, New York's go to lawyer. He's here to share his stories from in the courtroom and around the city with interviews from high profile guests and everyday folks calling in to talk about everything from politics, lifestyle, health and wellness, and more. And now your host, making the case for the city he loves, attorney Arthur Idala. Well, nothing's pre-recorded here, folks. From DuPont Circle in Washington, D.C. Beautiful day down here in Washington, D.C. The weather was great. Uh, um, my partner, Imran Ansari, who you hear here on Thursday nights with Kevin McCullough, uh, he and I are down here doing a deposition. Um, we're running a shotgun to our friend um, Alan Dershowitz. Very, very, very interesting case. Uh, it's been a long day, but definitely not a boring day. Um, but uh, we're going to talk about the arrest of Frank James momentarily. But before that, I have a very special guest on the phone to talk about uh, the ramifications of Lieutenant uh, Governor Benjamin being uh, indicted by the Southern District of New York, which is the most powerful uh, U.S. Attorney's Office in the United States of America, someone who knows a lot about uh, Albany and, and governing in the state of New York, Congressman Tom Swazi. Hello, Congressman Arthur Idala. How are you, sir? Arthur Idala, the quintessential New Yorker. How are you, buddy? That's good. The New Yorker who's down in Washington, D.C. But, you know, as soon as I heard about the lieutenant governor yesterday morning, I wanted to get you on and hear your thoughts. And then obviously there was the tragedy on the subways. So uh, let's let's start with the lieutenant governor and then and then you could talk about the what happened on the subway and what Governor Swazi would do to make sure that that never happens again. What are your thoughts about this indictment? Well, listen, uh, uh, Governor Hochul, her first decision she made completely her own decision. Nobody else involved. She picked Brian Benjamin as a lieutenant governor. Chose her lack of experience, a lack of judgment. She didn't do proper vetting, uh, or she knew what was going on, and she ignored it anyway because she thought she could get away with it. Uh, and it's just uh, it's it's a continuation of all the the bad deeds, uh, the failure to fix bail reform, the Buffalo Bills, the bloated budget, uh, and now Brian Benjamin. This governor is over her head. Uh, she's not doing the job. She's not focused. You know, you want to talk about. The subway shootings? I mean, we have a public safety crisis in New York City. We have a crime crisis in New York City. And the governor's treating it as an afterthought. Her main negotiator on fixing bail reform was Brian Benjamin, the same guy that ran for controller, saying that uh, uh, he wanted to defund the police. So it's a, New, York, New York is the most corrupt state in the United States of America. That's not me. That's the Washington Post said that in August of last year. We've seen all the people that have left office in scandal. Uh, whether it's uh, governors or attorney general or controller or Shelley Silver or Joe Bruno or Dean Skelos or on and on and on of all the examples of corruption and scandal. And this governor is doing the same old stuff, collecting money from the insiders, 
um, raised more money than, than Spitzer or Cuomo or Pataki or Patterson ever did. Not because people are saying, oh, I'm so inspired, but because they're trying to do business with the state, trying to get a cannabis license, trying to do a nursing home, trying to get something from the state. And, uh, but, but Tom, isn't that, isn't that, isn't that how the system works? I mean, you know, you're out there fundraising like crazy. That's not the way it should Well, strike that. It does work that way in New York state. That's not the way it's supposed to work. I've raised a lot of money in this race. I've raised millions of dollars. Nobody's, none of the people who are helping me are helping me because they're doing business with the state. Because if they did help me, they couldn't do business with this governor. People are helping me because they see my record as a CPA, an attorney, a mayor, a county executive, a member of Congress who's fighting for the people and who's a common sense Democrat who's not going to pander to the left or back down to the crazy right and who's t- talking very straightforward, crime, taxes, troubled schools. That's the problem we have. Now we should add corruption because that's what the problems that people care about in New York State, people care about in New York City. That's what we have to address. Well, she stepped up to the microphone yesterday, right? I mean, Eric Adams, Tom, you, you must know, he must have been crawling out of his skin that he couldn't be there for such a crisis of New York because he was ill. Um, or I should really say contagious. But, you know, she stood up and she said, you know, I am committing all of the resources to the state of New York, of the state oh. of New York, to fight crime. Now, I don't exactly know what that means. Um, it but, means nothing. You know, she makes these empty pronouncements all the time. She's never been in a chief executive, except, I'm sorry, she did run the county clerk's office in uh, in Erie County. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a chief executive. I was the mayor of a small city for eight years. I was a county executive of one of the largest counties in the country bigger than 11 states. Uh, my police department was larger than the 12th largest police department in the country, bigger than Detroit or Boston. I'm not a run government. She just simply doesn't know what she's talking about when she says she's going to devote the resources of the state. It's, 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 it's nonsensical. Change the laws and stop handcuffing the mayor. You know, I supported the mayor very early. I supported Eric Adams very early on in his race. He asked me to serve as his deputy mayor. And I said, listen, I'm not going to be your deputy mayor. I'm going to run for governor. I can do a lot more to help you in the city of New York I'm the governor of New York State. So I need the people who are listening tonight, if they'll have an open mind, to please consider uh, Tom Swazi for governor, especially in the Democratic primary on June 28th. Uh, Tom, I need let me just ask you a quick question, because it has to do with money and campaign finance. You know, when people have asked me, especially regarding the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, you know, to run from, from Manhattan DA, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it's all about the fundraising. I mean, that's the sad part of it, right? It's all about calling people, call, like you calling Paul D'Amelio, your buddy from law school, and being like, hey, Paul, I'm running. Yep. Can you help me with money? Money, money, money. If you were, yep. you know, if you were running the whole thing, how would you change the the financing of politics to make it less corrupt, change, to make it less influential? I would change the New York. First, the New York, in the federal government, the most you can collect is $2,900 a person. You can't collect it from corporations. You can't collect it from LLCs. You can only collect it from individuals. Twenty nine hundred dollars. So that's, your, so that, so that's your, your when you run for Congress. That was the maximum donation, correct? Correct. Now okay. for New York State, you can collect twenty two thousand six hundred dollars for the primary and another forty five thousand dollars for the general. Kathy Hochul's been getting sixty five thousand dollars checks from people who do business with the state. She went to every single lobbyist in Albany, and there's dozens and dozens and dozens of them, and said, "You raised me two hundred fifty thousand dollars." And that, that's to get access to the governor. And there have been stories written, a lot of good stories written by the Times Union, the Albany Times Union. Unfortunately, the New York Times is not doing its job. Uh, the Post is covering the race a little bit. We need the, the, the New York press to cover this race because people are dying in the Ukraine 
for freedom and democracy. And freedom and democracy is politics. And we have freedom and democracy in America. It's politics. Instead of hating politics, we need people to participate in politics. Because if the people are involved, they'll demand that the politicians fix what they want. And what they want is to feel safe and address this crime problem. What they want is to reduce the taxes. What they want is affordability. What they want is to stop this, this out-migration. Everybody who's listening to the show right now knows somebody who's moved to Florida, moved to North Carolina or South Carolina or Georgia or Texas, or, they, or they're talking about moving away. And it's reflected in real life that we are losing relative populations in the rest of the country. We're the most out-migration of any state in the United States of America in 2021. We had 45 members of Congress when I was born in 1962. Today we've got 27 members of Congress, and it's going down because we are losing relative populations to the rest of the country, and we're losing influence. So the people have to get involved. They have to stand up and demand that the politicians talk about what they care about. And I'm talking about, I think, what the people care about, reducing crime, making people feel safe, affordability, reducing taxes, utility rates, uh, and helping our troubled schools. So there was, there was some progress in the budget reform budget regarding bail reform, but obviously for Tom Swazi, not enough, correct? No, that was, a, that was comp- first of all, she leaked it 10 days before the budget was due. She didn't even do a press conference on it to try and promote it. And it was nothing. It covered like 20 crimes out of 6,900 of, of dangerous felonies. And it didn't cover the important stuff. We need to have judges to have the ability to consider dangerousness. Uh, like 49 other states have. You know, Tom, that was never that just so and I know you know this. That was never the case. That has nothing to do with bail reform. In other words, people should know the listeners should know dangerousness was never a factor in the state courts. It's always been a factor in the federal courts. But, that you know, you can't blame the uprise on a crime because judges haven't been able to take dangerousness. It was always will you return? Will you return now? Subconsciously, did judges keep take dangerousness into account? Probably. Can they still do it now? Probably. But their hands are tied onto which, which type when of New, crimes. When New Jersey got rid of cash bail, and you know, cash bail doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense if you're in jail for 200 bucks for bail. You haven't been found guilty yet, and you can't get out because you can't pay 200 bucks. I mean, that, that's not fair that you should languish in jail for some low-level crime like that. I, I agree with getting rid of cash bail by itself. But when New Jersey got rid of cash bail, uh, when Christie was the governor, they put in a dangerousness standard. So we don't have that in New York State, like, but every other state in the country does, and the federal government does, as you pointed out. All right, Tom, I know you got to go. Um, tell, uh, tell folks if they want to read more about Tom Swazi's platform and why you're going to be a great governor. Tell them where to find you. Please go to Swazi for NY. Swazi is S-U-O-Z-Z-I. Swazi, S-U-O-Z-Z-I. Or the Italians say Swazi. Uh, <laughs> Swazi for NY. And... Uh, Three, three big things. One, I'm a proven executive on how to run government and how to get things done. Number two, I'm a common sense Democrat, not going to pander to the left, not going to back down to the right. I'll work with anybody to solve problems if you really want to help people. And number three, my agenda is clear. Reduce crime, lower taxes, help troubled schools, and go after the corruption that we've got in New York State. All Thanks, right. man. Go get him, Tom. Be well, my friend. Thank, Thank you, you, brother. Really appreciate you. I'll see you in a little bit. All right, this is Arthur Idala on the Arthur Idala Power Hour, and for transparency, I am supporting Tom Swazi for governor, so it's no secret, and everyone has been invited who's running for governor to be on this show, and we will continue to invite them. So 
So speaking of uh, crime, speaking of what happened yesterday, which we're going to talk about with Bernie Carrick uh, at the bottom of the hour, Commissioner Bernie Carrick, I should say, um, you could, you, we could see over the last 24 hours, 48 hours, whatever, how, how unexpected life is. So you have to be prepared. And how do you do that? You go to Connors and Sullivan because they will help you plan for your future and you should do it now while everyone's healthy, while everyone is calm, while there's no rushed decisions. They're there to protect you and to protect your family. They're protecting you by giving you a power of attorney and a health care proxy so that if you're with us but you can't handle your own affairs, while you're healthy, you appoint who acts as a lawyer for you. That's a power of attorney. Like not as a lawyer, but they step in your shoes and they can sign documents, legal documents. Uh, and as a, uh, if you're sick, the healthcare proxies tells your doctor, look, if I can't talk for whatever reason, I'm intubated, God forbid I'm in a coma, I want you to talk to this person, my husband, my wife, my son, my daughter, whomever it is. And then a will and a living will, you know, a will is you're telling people what you want done to you with your stuff, with your possessions. Um, and a living will is if you're in a incurable state. You say whether you want to stay on the machines or you don't want to stay on the machines. It's easy to get all this stuff done. Just go and call Connors and Sullivan, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. They have offices in Brooklyn, Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island. You can visit them at connorsandsullivan.com. And just remember, the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is not planning at all. Freehold Mitsubishi in Freehold Township, New Jersey, is proud to be an automotive leader in our area and sponsor of the Arthur Idala Power Hour. Mitsubishi dreamers, designers, and engineers are redefining choices in mobility for a whole new generation of independent, modern, and savvy consumers who want value, like the new redesigned 2022 Mitsubishi Outlander featuring its industry-leading Mitsubishi 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain limited warranty. Visit Freehold Mitsubishi today, freeholdmitsubishi.com, or call 732-863-27. That's Tom Swazi. He's a very gifted uh, and talented man. He really is. Um, Whether he's going to get to the governor's mansion, we shall see. Uh, I will tell you this. He would be an excellent governor. Um, But there's a huge hurdle because it, it, it all comes down to money which kind of stinks. Um, you know, we've worked very hard in the city to, to balance things out with the, um, with the uh, matching funds so that, you know, you have to raise a certain amount of money to show that, hey, people are, are enough of people are willing to support you that you should run. Um, but then, you know, so you raise, you know, I don't even know, you raise $25,000 and if it's raised a certain way, there are rules only a certain amount of money from individuals get gets matched. You have to be city residents, um, but you know you could you, you you don't have the influence of outsiders. So there's no real lobbyists 
who have influences over city council members. Um, of course, there's ways around it. They use PACs to support governor, uh, support mayors, who are also part of the um, the city's program for um, wow campaign finance. Thank you, um, thank you. Like a guy like Bloomberg, obviously he did, he opt out of the program. A guy like De Blasio and Adams, they opt into the program. But you know, I have been to uh, or around. I should really say a couple of. Uh, Governor Hochul fundraisers. I've not donated money to her, although so many people have asked me to. I have nothing against her, but I didn't know anything about her. And and again, I I am one of those voters who actually pays attention. I'm not a down the line voter. And you know what? If if Lee Zeldin knocks my socks off, or or Andrew Giuliani knocks my socks off, I'm not going to not vote for them just because they're for they're a Republican and vice versa. Uh, you know, with a Democrat, I listen to what people have to say. Um, I obviously personality's got a lot to do with it, and I make my decision accordingly. But I, it's, I think it's naive to say that if you're a governor and some lobbying firm gave you whatever the maximum Tom just said was sixty-two thousand dollars. I mean, you're definitely going to take their call. You know, there was an article in the Times about it. And uh, I believe it was uh, John Katsimatidis who precedes us on the Cats Roundtable right before this show. He's quoted in the Times as saying, you, you give this money so that you basically you get your phone call answered. Um, and, you know, I get it. I mean, that's the way the world works. But when Tom Swazi says the Washington Post says that, you know, New York is a very corrupt state. I mean, I hate to hear that. Right. I mean, I hate I, I like to think that New York is great. Um, but you know, everyone's, you know, we all have our warts to some degree or another, uh, you know, the money, the money plays a role. You know, I, I'm down here in Washington, DC broadcasting live from my hotel room, which I made sure we got a, a landline, um, plug in for my internet to get this, whatever I'm here live in Washington, DC. Um, and I'm, I'm here on a civil case, you know, many, many people know I do a lot of criminal law, but I'm here on a civil case. And the observation I have, and that you guys should know, and we're going to talk a little bit about the law right now, is that um, criminal attorneys, in, for, in the, for the most part, between the prosecutors and the defense attorneys, typically, obviously there are always exceptions, but pip, typically we all get along pretty well. Um, we all realize we're all, we have, all have our certain roles, whether it's the, the clerk of the courtroom, uh, the judge's law clerk, the judge him or herself, the prosecutor, the defense attorney. And, you know, we all basically do our jobs to the best of our abilities, ability, zealously. But it doesn't that often get personal. There are times when it definitely does. Don't get me wrong. But that's not the norm. Um, you know, I've handled a lot of high profile cases and, you know, whether I win or well, I shouldn't say win or lose, whether the verdict is the one that I'm happy with or I'm not happy with. The first thing I always do is go over and shake my adversary's hand. Um, I will tell you, um, one of the first murder cases I tried as a defense attorney was against someone who I was friendly with that then now I'm very friendly with her, Stacy, uh, the jury was out on the murder case for like several days and it was a Saturday morning. This is when they used to have jurors come back in on Saturday. And we actually all, we all went to breakfast together. It was me and my intern, now my wife. And um, that's how you want to get, if you want to get over any like sexual, the harassment claims, just marry them. 
Um, and uh, and it was the prosecutor and her intern, who I believe is a, may still be an assistant district attorney now in Kings County. And she said to me, we kept getting these notes, and they seemed to be in favor of the defense. And she goes, Artie, I'm telling you right now, the verdicts are going to come in, and it's going to be in your favor, and I'm not shaking your hand. I'm not saying anything. I'm just going to take my folder. I'm taking my file. I'm going to go home, probably going to cry, have a drink, and I'll just call you Monday morning. And that, that's actually what happened. It was the people of the state of New York versus Willie Turner. Um, it was July of 1999. And um, the verdict came in. It was not guilty of all counts. And as she said, <laughs> Stacy picked up her files, walked out of the courtroom. And Monday morning, at I think it was like 9.01 a.m., she called me and she congratulated me. But my point tying this in with, with um, politics and the money of politics is, in civil law, typically, money is on the line, both for the clients and for the attorneys. You guys hear these commercials all the time, right? Uh, no fee unless we recover for you. You know, you don't. It's all on it. What's called a contingency. When you're a criminal defense attorney, you can't have a contingency. It's unethical. It's in, it's inappropriate. Um, you you just can't do it. There's no. I don't do any. Oh, I'll give you a bonus. No, no, no. Here's the fee. If you know you walk out the back door, that's the fee. And if God forbid you get convicted and you walk in, you're not walking out the back door. That's the fee. So there's a, we're much more collegial towards each other. Whereas when money is on the line, both for the client, but more importantly for the lawyers themselves, if they win, they get a big payday. If they don't, they don't. It's a different vibe. It's just a, it's much more adversarial. It's much more nasty. It's much more dirty. If you want my opinion. Um, I want to just, so my point is money has a corrupting effect and uh, we should, we need to all keep that in mind. That's the bottom, bottom line, whether it's in politics or in the law. Um, I have a couple of minutes, Sambalina, I may go like a minute long on this, just giving you a heads up. I'm in Washington. I'm all caught up with the United States Supreme Court. I might pop over there tomorrow to say hello to some of the friends who I know there. And as I'm uh, preparing for the show, the, the New York Times comes up with a, a an pretty big article i mean it's an opinion piece but the, the title of it is um roberts has lost control of the supreme court i mean that's a devastating headline for uh, to be published in the new york times uh it's a guest essay it's an opinion piece by stephen vladek who is a professor at university of texas school of law um and basically i'm not going to go too deep into the weeds but you know we all know about the big decisions and the big decisions are called merit decisions. That's when both sides brief the case very intensely on papers. Then they both argue it uh, in the in the court. And then, you know, months later, there is a written decision. It, it, there's a decision that's written by the majority. Then there could be a concurring decision. Then there's a dissenting. Those are the people who are against it. Um, but they've been doing a lot of these what's called shadows um, they're, they're doing these shadows uh, dockets. And what that is, is they're, what it was meant to be are like quick decisions because if they wait too long, they are going to, it's like someone, there's going to be irreparable damage. So if like hypothetically a building is going to be knocked down and the Supreme Court is going to hear this case about a building being knocked down, but while the docket is being you know li- addressed, the building gets knocked down, and then the court says, "Oh, the building shouldn't be knocked down." Well, you know, so 
there's been a, a lot of these merit decisions and they've been on different cases. Now, usually they're about simple things like whether they should take appeal or they shouldn't take appeal or whether they want to give a party more time to file a brief. But lately they've been doing things on uh, whether they blocked OSHA's uh, vaccine mandate for large employers. They didn't block the Texas ban on abortion after six weeks. But instead of doing this in a real or uh, real way with, with write, written documents and oral arguments, um, they're doing in these just quick, no, there's no analysis. It's just a vote except for the dissents. And now Justice Roberts is joining the dissents with the left part of the, the court, Justice Sotomayor, Justice Breyer, and Justice Kagan, and he's actually criticizing the process. So you have the chief judge telling his colleagues that I think you're doing things the wrong way. And he's talking to Justice Alito and Justice Thomas and K, uh, and Kavanaugh and Gorsuch and uh, Comey Barrett. And um, he basically said, you're abusing this process. You're putting too many things in the shadow docket and you're not la- allowing it to be argued. And, the pr- and it's being treated as precedent, which means the lower courts have to abide by it. But there's no written decision giving the, the lower courts guidance. I mean, Justice Scalia was known for writing these flowery opinions that was really a message to the lower courts to tell, to give them guidance, to give them a roadmap. When you're just saying five to four that this is our decision, that doesn't help anyone except to know that, okay, you can't enforce the, the OSHA vaccine mandate. But why? And the Supreme Court is really all about why. It's all about the judicial an- an analysis. And Justice Kagan has written some really uh, powerful dissents saying, you guys are abusing the process, and now Justice Roberts has joined her in telling his colleagues, you're abusing the process, you're abusing these what's called shadow docket cases. So, you know, I, I, I call everyone out when I see it. I try to do it in a nice way. But the Supreme Court, you know, Justice Rob, Chief Justice Roberts, he doesn't, uh, he's not like uh, the former chief, which was Rehnquist, who has a much more of a, I think, a collegial friendly atmosphere with the other um, justices. Justice Roberts, I think, stands on ceremony often and therefore may lack the power to influence his colleagues. Keep your eye on the Supreme Court, folks, because it affects your life. We'll be back with uh, Commissioner Carrick right after these messages. Oasis Home Care provides care for you and your loved ones in your home. From elderly care to dementia care, personal care to respite care, Oasis Home Care will bring care and companionship into your home to assist you and your loved ones. If you're a veteran, Oasis Home Care can help you with veterans' benefits too. Call Michael at 732-953-3796 or go to oasishcs.com. A nurse will visit your home for a free consultation. Oasis Home Care serves Ocean and Southern Monmouth County. Let Oasis help with the stress of caring for your loved one while you work, you're at home, or just need time for self-care. Visit oasishcs.com or call 732-953-3796. Oasis Home Care can help you from 4 hours to 24-7. At Oasis, Safety is a number one concern. They're insured, bonded, and a member of the Home Care Association of America. For help providing care or companionship to a loved one and you live in Ocean or Southern Monmouth County, contact Michael at 732-953-3796 or oasishcs.com. This is an important notice to consumers facing $10,000 or more in credit card debt, medical bills, or other unsecured debt. You're not required to pay it all back because there are special programs now in effect that will significantly reduce the amount you will owe if you qualify. 
This is not bankruptcy or a debt consolidation loan. These programs, which the credit card companies like to keep secret, exist to aid American consumers struggling with overwhelming credit card debt by offering tremendous savings and real debt relief. Accredited Debt Relief has established a special hotline for you to call and learn what savings you qualify for. They've helped qualify consumers with over a billion dollars in debt and are A-plus rated with the Better Business Bureau. So don't wait. Get the relief you need during these hard economic times. For this free information, call the Accredited Debt Relief Hotline now. Call 800-786-2300. 800-786-2300. That's 800-786-2300. Freehold Mitsubishi in Freehold Township, New Jersey is proud to be an automotive leader in our area and sponsor of the Arthur Idala Power Hour. Driving ambition for 40 years in the United States, Mitsubishi Motors sees the automotive industry differently. Mitsubishi challenges convention with innovative approaches in the way Mitsubishi engineers and builds their vehicles. Just look at the all-new redesigned 2022 Mitsubishi Outlander, now in stock in all trim levels and all with the flexibility of third-row seating. Visit Freehold Mitsubishi today. FreeholdMitsubishi.com or call 732-863-2000. News, opinion, passion. This is AM 970, The Answer. We have partly cloudy skies. We sit at 68 degrees on this Wednesday evening. What's going on? We have the answer. Well, the suspect facing charges in Tuesday's horrific subway shooting in Brooklyn is well known to the NYPD. Let's get more from Natalie Migliori. Authorities say 62-year-old Frank James has nine prior arrests in New York City dating back to 1992. Police Commissioner Keyshawn Sewell says investigators have evidence that directly links James to the attack. We were able to shrink his world quickly. There was nowhere left for him to run. It was a Crime Stoppers tip that led to his arrest in Manhattan's East Village. More than 24 hours after he boarded another train and fled after releasing gas canisters and shooting innocent riders. Natalie Migliori, NBC News Radio, New York. And the alleged New York City subway shooter may in fact have turned himself in. NBC4 New York is reporting investigators say they're looking into whether 62-year-old Frank James called in one of the tips on himself saying he was sitting inside a McDonald's. James was arrested this afternoon. Reports also say he asked for an attorney and he's not answering any questions from authorities. Taking a look at the traffic across the Hudson, going back to New Jersey, the Holland Tunnel, a 20 to 30 minute wait, 15 to 20 on the inbound side. Lincoln Tunnel, 20 to 30 minutes outbound, 10 to 15 on the citybound side. George Washington Bridge, about a 15 to 20 minute delay for both the upper and lower level toll plazas. And both levels are very slow right across the span. If you're in Manhattan trying to get to the outbound GW Bridge, West Side Highway is still pretty heavy. As you go north of 57th Street up to the GW Bridge, it's starting to break up, but still more stop than go. Riverside Drive, not perfect, but a better idea for you. FDR northbound still heavy from 34th Street up to the Triborough Bridge, then slow from the 150s to the GWB. Cloudy skies tonight, overnight low of 60. Partly sunny tomorrow with afternoon showers and storms, high 77. And sunny skies on Friday with a high of 63 as we wrap up the business week. And now you know what's going on. I am Mike Barker on AM 970, The Answer. We're back to the Arthur Idala Power Hour with New York City's preeminent trial attorney and quintessential New Yorker, attorney Arthur Idala. He was taken into custody without incident and has been transported to an NYPD facility. He will be charged with committing yesterday's appalling crime in Brooklyn. Well, that is the current police commissioner, but here to talk about what happened yesterday and and. What's uh, what has happened over the last uh, hours since that shooting took place and, and what's 
going to happen for the city of New York. One of the men uh, who was part of the team that cleaned up New York from the bad old days, uh, Police Commissioner Bernie Carrick. How are you, Commissioner? Hey, Arthur. How are you doing? Um, I'm doing as good as can be doing. I'm down here in Washington, D.C., and it's uh, it's pretty nice. It's kind of warm down here. I caught a little sun today at the, my my lunch hour, and I was then I, I came back into this deposition, and everyone's phone blew up that they caught this guy. Um, just give the, the the callers a little insight. I mean, we we could talk about how they actually caught him, but when something like this happens, right, and it initially happens, and and you're the police commissioner, and you're probably at some, you know, celebratory event. It was a breakfast event or something like that. And your phone blows up and your beeper blows up. What happens? What does a police commissioner do when he hears about a tragedy like this? Well, look, I, I can I, I, I can relate easily. Uh, you know, on the morning of September 11th, I was in my office when the first plane hit Tower 1. I was getting ready for my day. It was a like a day any other day uh, in the city wasn't thinking uh, of anything negative and uh you know one my chief of staff and one of the security guys came in and said that a plane just hit tower one and at that point we thought it was an accident so you know your day is uh it's going to start off with a major crisis by the end of the day we realized it was a terror attack um both buildings were hit and we lost an enormous amount of people um you know, so you never know. You, you know what, Art? It's it's like I tell the cops on patrol. You go out on patrol, you can have a routine day every day for a month straight, and then there could be a five-minute period that drives you into complete overdrive and puts you in a situation that you could have, you may have never been in in your entire life before. So, um, you know, it's it's the... The price we pay, I think, for the jobs we choose, and in this case, um, you know, I'm sure the police commissioner was um, was outraged at the uh, at the attack initially. Um, but I can also tell you, uh, when she got that call this afternoon that he was in custody, I can tell you she was probably elated. From an investigative point of view, I mean, the the 9/11 thing, and and thank you for all of your service. Then, obviously. But from an investigative point of view, on a case like this, like what's the first thing, and who's who put who's in charge? Meaning, is is it a detective squad? Is it? I think that happened in the seven two precinct. Is it the is it the precinct? Is it detectives from the precinct? Is there a special unit that gets called in? Who are the the first responders to figure out what the heck happened here, and and who did it, and where do we find them? You know what, Art, in, in a situation like this, you know, it starts out like every other job, right? Every other job comes over 911. You know, there's a shooting in the mass transit system. First of all, is it a real shooting? Is it really happening? Did it really happen? I can't tell you how many jobs we get in the NYPD, you know, claims of a shooting, of a stabbing, of a violent act, and it turns out to be nothing. There's nothing there. Um, so you get that call. Once the first cops are on the scene and or or there's multiple calls on the same job, you know, you start getting 20, 30, 40 calls into 911 for shots fired or shooting in the mass transit. You know, there's something there. The cops start rolling. Once they're on the scene, they notify the command. They notify Central. If Central uh, realizes that it is an active shooting. Then there's a citywide notification that goes out. So emergency service goes, 
the detective squad goes, the chief of detectives goes, the joint terrorist task force in this situation goes, and the joint terrorist task force is a task force that consists of the FBI, the New York State Police, the NYPD, and then a number of other federal agencies that's within within the government. Well, that task force goes as well because it could be an act of terror. Um, who takes charge? Normally, it's the NYPD. Uh, in a shooting like that, I'm sure the police department was in charge. Um, the chief of detectives uh, reports directly to uh, the chief of department in the PC, um, and they oversee the investigation. And, uh, you know, I was uh, talking to someone offline, and they basically said the first thing they do nowadays, which was different than when you were a, a cop the commissioner, is they go to the videotape. Because they say, they said, especially in the, in the subways, there's video everywhere. Now, you well, you didn't have that luxury you know, our, back in the day. It's No, no. Yeah, we didn't have that luxury. Listen, back, uh, you know, 20, 25 years ago or, or 30, 35, 40 years ago when I became a cop, um, you went to the witnesses, right? You went to grab as many witnesses as you could possibly grab, uh, interview them before they took off in many cases, um, collect the physical evidence that's at the scene. That's how those cases started. Today, you go to the videotape and you go to the cell towers because the cell towers those every, anybody and everybody that walks through that station comes out on the street. Once they're in the street, their phones ping off the closest tower to that station. And those pings, those signals from your phone to that cell tower, those things get collected, right? You can track somebody. Uh, you know, I, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I think everybody knows I was... I was subpoenaed to the J6 committee, um, uh, you know, to the testify. And they thought I was in D.C. on a certain day and I wasn't there. So in order to prove that I wasn't there, I actually had somebody ping my phone, my cell phone, and it gave you a direct line. Every move I made from Washington, D.C. to my house, from my house to New York City, from New York City back to my house, back to D.C. the next day. You know what? And you can do that with every phone. Oh, yeah. So I've, had plenty, I've had plenty of clients, right, Commissioner, who've, uh, who've told me they weren't in some place, and they swore on their kids that they weren't there. And then I get the, I get the evidence. I get the evidence from the prosecutor. Luckily, most of the times before they go to trial, and I was like, so you, you, how much do you love your kids? Because unless you gave your phone somewhat to someone else, I'm like, it, it says you were right there at that time. So I, I get no, it. No, Exactly. So you know you grab the you grab the videos you grab the cell tower, um, and, and that's where it starts. And this is going to be handled by the yeah. feds now. I, I just you know when I was reading up on it, it said the feds are going to charge him. I'm assuming, which is not typical. Uh, usually, uh, this is technically still a street crime. Um, you know, he, he would be charged here with attempted murder and all kinds of crimes like that. But it looks like they're going to probably go after him in the feds, but some sort of uh, terrorist uh, under some terrorism statute. That's what I'm guessing. Uh, you know what? I actually I spoke about this in a number of interviews yesterday, and I said that I would find it um, I would find it funny if they did not. This this uh, for two reasons. One, the act itself falls within 
the definition of the FBI's domestic terrorism, and the man himself, the person, um, if you, you know, once the general public learns uh, enough about this guy, he has a history um, of, of outrageous, um, you know, ideology, uh, this black nationalist, nationalist ideology. Um, it, it's all over the Internet. He's, uh, he's, he's, he's really, he sort of reminds me of like one of these black radicals back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, like the Black Panther Party or the Black Liberation Army. Um, like it's really, really extreme, outrageous. Well, um, and I think as you, that's what as you know, Commissioner, the, you know, the feds have larger teeth uh, than the state does. And, um, the, you know, especially, I mean, I think bail wouldn't be an issue here in either jurisdiction. But the new U.S. attorney in the Eastern District, I'm sure uh, uh, Eric Gonzalez, the Brooklyn D.A., would have loved to have hold on, held on to a high profile case like this. But let's hope justice is done. And uh, thank you for all the justice that you've done over the years, Commissioner Carrick. And uh if anyone wants to find you, how do they find you, Commissioner? I, I, I know you do. I'm getting newsletters from you and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, Bernard Carrick. My, my name, first, last name on Twitter, uh, Facebook, uh, all, all, all the social media avenues. Beautiful. Well, thanks so much, Bernie. And anytime you want to jump on the, on the radio with us and uh, co-host with me, I, I know you're a veteran. So it would be an honor to have you. Thanks, Arthur. Take be care. well, my friend. Okay, folks, we'll take a little bit of a break. We'll talk about Cooper Gooding Jr. We'll talk about Gilbert Godfrey. And we'll talk about Gabutzel. That's right, Gabutzel, only on AM 970, The Answer. We'll be right back. The Arthur Idala Power Hour is sponsored in part by the good people at Freehold Mitsubishi in Freehold Township, New Jersey. America's been thunderstruck by the all-new 2022 Mitsubishi Outlander. Get high style without the high price, plus an industry-leading 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain limited warranty. Drive one today at Freehold Mitsubishi for the best selection and outstanding customer service. Just a short ride from anywhere in the metro tri-state area. Visit FreeholdMitsubishi.com or call 732-863-2788. ReliefFactor.com. I'll tell you about Relief Factor. You hear ads for it here. You see them on TV. You have to acknowledge the only way a company can advertise that much is if it's successful. You need a lot of money to advertise. So that's a proof that it works. People keep buying the product. And I love their honesty. If it doesn't work in three weeks, it won't work. That's what they tell you. It probably won't work. I shouldn't say it won't. So they give you a three-week price of $19.95 to relieve muscle and joint pain. It's an anti-inflammatory, completely, or nothing completely safe. Crossing the streets, not completely safe. ReliefFactor.com. Do one thing this year that changes you forever. Something extraordinary. A bucket list experience with years of memories packed into 10 invigorating days. Join Dr. Sebastian Gorka and Dinesh D'Souza in Israel this November. We'll visit over 40 iconic places right from scripture and history. Reserve your spot today when you visit StandWithIsraelTour.com. StandWithIsraelTour.com or call 855-565-5519. 
Your parents have spent a lifetime building a life. Help them continue their independence at Riverwalk Senior Apartments by River Spring Living in Riverdale. Riverwalk perfectly balances independence and support. Your parents will enjoy spacious apartments, gourmet meals, and cultural activities alongside friendly neighbors and attentive staff. Visit Riverwalk.org to learn how River Spring Living can provide independence through community and peace of mind for you. Call 855-45-RIVER to schedule a private tour. 855-45-RIVER. Kevin McCullough is next on AM 970, The Answer. Paul Sorvino, 83 years old. Happy birthday, Ron Perlman, 72 years old. Happy birthday, Max Weinberg of the E Street Band, 71. Ricky Schroeder, 52. That was Al Green, 76. And guess who would have been 279 years old today? Thomas Jefferson. And here I am, Arthur Idala, on the Idala Power Hour on AM 970 The Answer in Washington, D.C. I love this city. I absolutely love this city. I mean, it's 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 different than New York. You know, I'm not comparing it to New York. Um, it doesn't have the grit and the grizzle and the, the level of energy. It's not the 24-hour city. But, you know, you walk around and, and you just you look at the Capitol, you look at the Washington Monument, Lincoln Memorial, Jefferson Memorial. Uh, and I'm sure people who, who live here, may, maybe they're jaded, maybe they're not. I'm not jaded. Every time I see the Empire State Building in Manhattan, I'm just like, wow. Uh, but it's it's just a great place. Um, and I'm very proud of it. Uh, I'm proud of our Capitol. Um, I wrote to my bride, Marianne Bertuna. Uh, I said, you know, she went to Georgetown, so she lived here. She loved it here. We we have been here many, many times together. Uh, when I got off the train yesterday, I was so excited uh, just to be back in D.C. I haven't been here in a while because of the pandemic. Um, I, and I said to Mary, and I said, you know, I really hope Arthur follows in, our foot, in your footsteps and goes to, I know I'm not even going to put the pressure on him to go to school at, at Georgetown because it's a very hard school to get into. But in Washington, D.C., because uh, I, I just love being here. I mean, I like Boston a lot, but I don't know Boston nearly as well as I know D.C. Um, plus, I have my buddy Chuck here, who he's going to be on the radio uh, with us tomorrow. And, um, you know, I, I love the United States Supreme Court for obvious reasons. Uh, I will tell you what's a little different between New York and uh, and Washington, D.C., DC in terms of the homeless situation is, you know, how we have these little encampments that, that uh, the mayor Adams is breaking down around New York city. Well, their encampments here in, in Washington, DC are, you know, the word camp encampments, they're in tents. They're in camping tents, like Noel Downey, boy scouts, Eagle scout tent. Um, 
and I said I, I was with my buddy Juan Williams. We're going to talk about that in a second, but um, I was like Juan, what, where did all of these like what's the name of the the ten company? It's uh, very famous, Coleman. So they're these big, like beautiful, expensive Coleman tents, and there's like a, a half a city block where there's like five of them lined up, one next to another. And you look like you're at a campsite. And I said to Juan, I go, Juan, what's up with this? He's like, well, people who feel bad for folks, you know, they have these tents sitting in their garage and they haven't used them for X amount of years. And I believe I have one in our garage that we haven't used in X amount of years. Um, and they just give them to them. They give them people who are at homes and they make homes in these tents on these streets. But it's like, I don't know. It's not the way to go. <laughs> like it's, it is not a long-term solution. Let's put it that way. Uh, and it, there's a lot of them. I'm, it's not like I saw one of them, and I, I, I remarked. I saw a lot of them. And I, I was so lucky last night. I, I got to uh, Washington. I took the train. I loved the train. It was an hour late. I felt bad. I was bad, late for Juan Williams. Those of you who don't know Juan Williams, Juan is a prolific author. Uh, he currently writes a, an, an article for The Hill. He uh, He's written more books than I can talk about. He's writing one now about race, race relations. He's a Panamanian of descent. He is a wonderful, wonderful man. Um, he's a sincere guy. I, obviously, he was on Fox. He is still on Fox, but he was one of the co-hosts for The Five for many, many years. Um, he was recently left The Five. You know, he had to be in New York for The Five. He's a Washington guy, so he's back down here. He was living at a hotel for so long, and and I'm happy for him he, that he's back down in Washington. He's not on the five anymore, but he's on other shows on Fox. And I will tell you, uh, anyone who watches Fox News and says anything silly about Juan Williams is just silly. You don't know the guy. He he is one of the most intelligent, learned, educated men. I mean, he's just he's so smart. He knows something about everything. And and he's the first to admit when he doesn't know something about something. His humility level is through the roof um, for someone who's accomplished what he has. And he just celebrated his 60th birthday, and he had a wonderful time with his family. And it just made me so happy to see a friend of mine so happy with his, with his sons, his daughter, his grandkids. You know, that's what life is all about. And uh, uh, that he's one of the reasons why I love coming to Washington, D.C. The law firm I was at today was beautiful, just totally different than what we have. So in, in New York City... We're on 45th and 5th, and we're in a skyscraper covered in glass, and we're in very modern um, accoutrements around the, uh, the office. This law firm today, which is a very, very prestigious law firm, um, it was the law office of Chuck Cooper, who argued in the United States Supreme who has argued more times than I could count in the United States Supreme Court. It's in a like a beautiful, it's not a brownstone, maybe it's a limestone townhouse. It's like three or four stories, just I mean, the uh, it's so gorgeously appointed. I'm just very different. The absolute opposite of, of the New York City Midtown kind of vibe. Uh, but I, I'm very, very happy to uh, to be down in Washington, D.C. and re reporting live and tell you that uh, everything's up to date in Washington, D.C. to take a line out of uh, the Broadway show Oklahoma. And my capacity as the president of the Friars, we sent out a big condolence to Gilbert Gottfried. Um, he was a friar. He um, was a big supporter of the friars. He's a big supporter of New York. Um, I felt really bad. I mean, he died. I guess he now we knew he had an illness, but he was very young. 
Um, so to Gilbert Gottfried, who had an interesting uh, sense of humor, but you know, and he got himself in some trouble a little bit over the years. But I think that's kind of a rite of passage for comedians. Uh, he has left us. And um, speaking of actors, it looks like Cuba Gooding Jr. dodged a little bit of a bullet here. He um, he pled guilty. You know, he had a bunch of um, sex abuse or sex harassment, sex abuse, sex sexual touching charges against him. So he pled guilty to um, the lowest level, which is a misdemeanor crime. So he does have a criminal record. Uh, it's forcible touching um, and because of a non-consensual kiss. He non kissed a woman at a nightclub in 2018, and he didn't have consent to do so. Uh, if he complies with the terms of the deal, the charge will be reduced to a non-criminal violation in six months. So he actually got a great um, he got a great uh, result here for someone who um, you know started off with uh, with several felonies, and I like Cuba Gooding Jr. and this was a little bit of a little bit of a Me Too kind of uh, situation for him. I hope he rebounds because uh, I think he's a great actor. And um, uh, those of you may be disappointed. Barry Manilow tested positive for COVID. So he's missing opening night of uh, of Harmony, which is an off-Broadway musical that he's involved with. And I'm sure there's a lot of uh, fans of the 78-year-old Copacabana singer. Barry Manilow was always a big, big uh, act to follow in the Idala household when we would all be singing in the living room. And finally, I want to throw a thank you out to Tony. Uh, he did email me about Gabuzel and what Gabuzel is and, and, and when he was a kid and, and how, I mean, it's a great, he wrote a whole long thing to me. He's a proud Italian-American. He's from Brooklyn. He has a house out in Long Island close to where I, very close to where I do. I hope to meet him someday. I think his daughter went to high school or um, middle school with my nephew. It's just a small world that this radio culture brings together. Gabuzel are lamb's heads. It's the head of the lamb. And back in the day when money was not as prosperous or as abundant as it is now, especially in the Italian-American community, nothing went to waste. What we take out in garbage in my house in a week would be what my both of my grandmothers, Marietta, uh, um, DeLuca, Idala, or uh, May Favia, Piazza, they wouldn't throw that garbage out in, in a month, what we do in a week. Um, so you never wasted anything, including the head of the lamb. So you roast it, you, you boil it, you roast it, you barbecue it, and uh, you put some lemon, olive oil, salt, pepper, some rosemary. You rip the jar off, you eat all of that meat, and believe me, you wash it down with a Brunello de Montalcino. Who's better than you? We'll be doing it on Father's Day. We'll post some uh, pictures on Facebook. All right, we'll be broadcasting live again tomorrow from Washington, D.C., the capital of the United States of America. The preceding program, sponsored by Freehold Mitsubishi. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost 
and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.